Today, Resources Minister Matt Canavan suggested they go to school to learn how to build more mines. Walking off school and protesting, you don't learn anything from that. You, you, you know, the best thing you learn about going for a protest is how to join the doll queue. Hello, my name is Jan Vyshnevsky and this is The Strife, a podcast thinking about issues in Australia with a long-term in mind. Recently, upwards of 15,000 Australian school students went on strike in protest of the government's climate policies. That's a pretty good effort. This was followed by a lot of media chatter about whether it's okay for kids to wag school and swear at politicians. Meanwhile, the latest report summarising scientific findings related to the climate suggests we have to cut greenhouse gas emissions by about 45% by 2030 to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. These scientists don't reckon we're going to get there, so those protesting students will have to bear the brunt of what that warming will bring. Over in Poland, delegates from across the globe have gathered to talk about the next steps in international climate action, but they've got stuck talking about coal. Sick. Nick Everett wrote an article for Red Flag on how the student strike offers a way forward for climate action. In my conversation with him, he suggests it's time we rally around these kids and reassess what our economic system is doing to our planet and the people who live here. Thanks for listening. So last week we had images of Australia's student strike for climate action hit the news and we saw plenty of snappy signs and some impressive speeches from the students aimed squarely at our politicians in Canberra. Mm -hmm. Did these protests fill you with some hope that we might be able to turn the tide on climate change action? Um, Well, I think that remains to be seen, but I think um, the protest was most definitely inspiring and is in fact the largest uh, high school student walkout in Australia since the Iraq war, uh, which is some 15 years ago now. So that certainly encourages me. And I think it is also reflective of Uh, international attention on the issue and action by young people uh, in other countries as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I must admit that the protests kind of snuck up on me and I haven't really got much of an understanding of um, how it was organised. So do you have a bit of background on how the strike was organised and what sparked the action? So two students uh, from Castlemaine in rural Victoria uh, initiated the action and they did so in response to hearing of Uh, Greta Thunberg's protest in Sweden Uh uh, and they um, spread the word. They were supported by uh, a number of environment organisations in Australia and uh, the protest gathered initially some media attention in The Guardian and uh, a few days out from the protest, uh, some international media and more mainstream media in Australia as well. Mm -hmm. And... Well, even during the week the protests took place and shortly after, we saw, I guess it would be fair to say, a negative reaction from our government. What, what does that suggest to you? Um, yes, so, so Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, three days out from the action, 
uh, made a statement in Parliament saying that schools shouldn't be parliaments and that there should be less activism in schools. Mm-hmm. And I think many young people and students across high schools uh, took that as a green light that, in fact, they needed to do more. So his words were actually helpful in so far as they um, brought more mainstream media attention on the issue um, and they were um, decidedly uh, condemned by students who uh, came out in, I think, greater numbers uh, in response to uh, Scott Morrison's statement. Um, It wasn't the only statement by a politician Mm -hmm. condemning the protest, Mm -hmm. and I would say that from Australia's mainstream parties there was um, ambivalence at best. Uh, There are some environment organisations with a focus on lobbying those same politicians, but I think we've seen a track record in Australia of uh, both major parties uh, basically uh, asleep at the wheel uh, in action on climate change, uh, and that's really what's uh, spurred students to take uh, strike action. Yeah. So you wrote a piece about the about the strike action, and you took some time in that piece to critique the idea that individual actions alone can save can save our planet. Yeah. Which you suggested is the underlying message of the ABC show uh, War on Waste, which which I do think does a pretty good job getting people to think about recycling and reducing reducing wastage in an accessible way. Yeah. But why don't you think it matters too much if we're concentrating on things like cutting down our plastic straw use, for example? Um, look, I think War on Waste uh, was a positive contribution to the discussion in putting the spotlight on um the issues of climate change and of waste in particular. Um, But I do think that we've seen in Australia, not just the current generation of students going through school, but a whole generation before that who have been given the um, reduce, reuse, recycle message have taken that to heart. Um, And yet those individual actions alone, in my view, um, are are not sufficient um, by any means, um, are very short of being sufficient to address the magnitude of the problem. And I think that's borne out by uh, the fact that in Australia we've seen um, steadily rising carbon emissions um, and we're also seeing steadily rising waste, in particular e-waste, which is headed for landfill. And uh, these problems can't just be solved by the choices of individuals or uh, individual household consumption. They require... Uh, society-wide measures uh, to reorganise um, how goods and services are produced in our society and how waste is disposed of. So why have we seen that increase in, in waste if individuals are focused on reducing or increasing their recycling or reducing their own wastage? Well, I think all the focus on individual action focuses on household recycling and there is a strong track record in Australia of households using their recycling bins, but there's not such a strong track record by business, which which effectively, which produces roughly half uh, the waste in the country. Household waste is some 40% of waste produced. That's just at the waste end, but it is also undeniably the case that household um, consumption hasn't gone down even if if households are recycling more Um, and that's got to do with the fact that households really don't make the decisions in our society about um, how goods and services are produced um, marketed and sold so we see this quite ridiculous situation where um, 
supermarkets seem to sell an ever-increasing volume of uh, foodstuffs um, wrapped in plastics. Um, and, and we just don't have a we, – we as individuals, we, don't, we may have a political democracy, but we don't have an economic democracy. We don't get to say directly to the producers of those goods that enough's enough. Um, we will no longer put up with you wrapping things in plastic uh, that, that could be um, produced in a much more environmentally friendly kind of way. Yeah. So in the uh, same piece, there was a thread where you spoke about, well, you're critical, I guess, of market solutions to reducing emissions, uh, such as emissions yeah. trading schemes or carbon mm. taxes. So in my, my own mind, I did have, reflecting on Australia's time with the carbon tax, I did have quite a positive view of the, of the carbon tax and its effect on emissions. So I went back and had a look. Yeah. And it does seem there is some doubt about how much the carbon tax did reduce Australia's emissions. There are some suggestions that the the companies that were covered by the by the emissions scheme, um, their emissions fell by about seven percent. Yeah. But there were outside factors that might have uh, influenced that, uh, such as yeah. the shutting down of some large electricity generators and the closure of some major manufacturing operations. So, what is essentially your critique? of market solutions to reducing emissions? Well, I, I don't think that they're a solution. Um, I, I think that perhaps some of the best research that's been done on this um, has been done by uh, Naomi Klein, uh, her book, uh, This Changes Everything, mm-hmm. uh, Capitalism and the Climate Crisis, um, examines the experience of the European Emissions Trading Scheme. Uh, which is a project that's gone a lot further than the um, short-lived carbon tax uh, in Australia. And uh, basically the emissions trading scheme essentially allows polluters to produce uh, pollution permits. So the idea is that um, by having to pay for permits to pollute, Mm -hmm. polluters will presumably produce less. Uh, But what this produces is a market in pollution permits uh, and the the way in which these permits um, are created, apart from being created by governments directly, is that um, companies that uh, engage in preserving forests, for example, yeah. uh, as carbon sinks, can then uh, sell on credits to polluters. Uh, so you have a really a merry-go-round where no doubt um, market mechanisms do inhibit um, carbon emissions in one place. Um, but this um, trading cycle basically uh, then incentivizes um, more carbon emissions essentially in another place. Mm-hmm. And in the experience uh, in Australia, the emissions trading scheme was introduced by the uh, Rudd government at a time where Australia was, the Australian economy was hitting a downturn. Um, the impact of the global financial crisis wasn't immediately felt in 2008, 2009 in Australia. Mm-hmm. Was felt was starting to be felt at the time that this emissions trading scheme was implemented. So I think a seven percent reduction in emissions um, is quite feasibly the uh, result of a slowing economy. Um, we do also know that this emissions trading scheme, or was this carbon tax, I should say, rather mm. polluters were given um, uh, compensation for reducing their emissions. Um, so essentially handouts to polluters and at the same time um, certain sections of industry were exempt from the carbon tax 
Um, so that in itself should, I think, raise alarm bells uh, with the Australian public. Um, and I think the the tax itself also provided a green light for energy producers to up the costs of uh, electricity, retail electricity production, not so much for big business but for households. And not surprisingly, that turned the public against um, the tax. So first, it wasn't in place long enough for us to feasibly measure what impact it did have, but it was actually quite uh, popular with much of business that um, benefited both from rising prices of their goods and of their services and government compensation. Um, And in fact, the oil and gas industry um, continued to uh, function and and to uh, invest in exploration, particularly gas exploration, with the assumption that gas exploration would would essentially emit a little less carbon carbon than um, traditional uh, dirty coal production. Mm. So the focus on individual actions and also Australia's uh, dabbling in, in market solutions to reducing emissions yeah. do seem to be ways in which we can continue with the, the status quo of how we live now and how business is done with just some slight tinkering in the hope that we can bring down emissions enough to combat the worst effects of climate change. So just going back to the, the recent protests, um, what can these students or even examples from the past teach us about challenging the status quo? Well, um, this student strike is not unprecedented in Australia. If we go back to, for example, French nuclear testing in the Pacific in the mid-1990s, tens of thousands of high school students took strike action on that occasion, um, was part of an international campaign that basically forced the uh, Chirac government in France to Mm -hmm. abandon its South Pacific nuclear testing program. Mm -hmm. A few years before that, in 1989, we saw the spread of the Environment Youth Alliance um, in Australia and high school students starting to to get organised. And, in fact, we can go right back to the 1970s and look at the example of the first Earth Day in 1970 that spurred students and young people into action. So uh, it's not unprecedented, but if we are to look honestly at those previous initiatives, we've seen them run out of steam, and and I think in part because mainstream environmental organisations have focused precisely on both individual solutions and market solutions, Mm -hmm. and we really need to get the message out that uh, what we need to address this issue is a global mass movement. Mm -hmm. Students' action should serve as um, an example to other sections of society that we need to come out on mass not just rely on lobbying our parliamentarians, but um, to take collective action yeah. that can can challenge the whole business as usual, uh, the whole nature of capitalism and the um, growth-first economic model that we live under. Mm-hmm. So what other groups do you see that could kind of build on this energy and could join in in a movement that these students are leading at the moment? Um, for instance, other groups potentially aren't focus first and foremost on environmental environmental movements? So going back to the 1970s, if you like, the first wave of the modern environment movement, in the United States, uh, unions became very engaged with mm-hmm. uh, environmental issues, in particular um, 
uh, workplace safety issues. Okay. Uh, so nuclear power plants in the oil industry, um, there were there was action by trade unions who sought the support of environment uh, organisations and acted uh, together to address those issues. In the 1970s in Australia, the Builders Labourers Federation worked side-by-side conservationists to prevent the bulldozing of the rocks in Sydney and other uh, heritage sites in and around Sydney. So, again, these actions are not unprecedented, but we have a long way to go, I think, at the moment in Australia uh, to forge an effective partnership uh, between mm-hmm. um, trade unions and the labour movement more widely uh, and environmentalists and students to yep. to bring into being really the, the sort of movement we need. Okay, well, thanks very much for your time, Janik. I think it's great that we at least have people speaking about the possibility of uh, bringing these partnerships together and starting that sort of movement. So thank you very much for answering my questions. You're welcome, yeah. Thank you. Nick Everett, on the potential for building Australia's student strike into a wider movement for climate action, and why that movement must look at asking questions of our consumption-driven world model. At the very top of the episode, you heard the opening strains of Looking Out for Country by Githable Next Generation, a song produced by Desert P Media. The same track will play us out. Thanks very much for your attention. When I'm looking out for country, country looks out for me. Country, country looks out for me. When I'm looking out for country.